Uh, when I was a child, um, I come from a long line of very prodigious sneezers. Just strong. Do you have these people? Or maybe you're that person. When you sneeze, you really mean it. You know, you're expelling just everything. And uh, when I was a child, sometimes we would be at the grocery store or something, and I would get, um, I wouldn't know where my parents were. And I more than once, this happened more than once, I'd, oh, I wonder, wonder where they went. And then I'd hear, achoo! You know, I, oh, aisle seven, you know, and I would know where they were. <laughs> and this, it was like sonar, you know, reverse sonar. And, or more than once, too, uh, we would go to Disney World or a concert or something. And I'm, if you don't know this, I'm like 6'3". I'm wearing lifts, so I'm really, no, I'm not wearing lifts. Um, but I am sort of tall. And so when we go to places, my wife always says, I'm so glad I can, I can find you because you pop out. I feel like Gulliver, you know, sort of walking amongst the people. You know, it's good to have uh, something or someone that you kind of helps you find your direction, to trust in, to help you know how to navigate, which way to go, and how to find your way. Uh, it, makes, it really makes all the difference in the world. And so, you know, last week when Ken touched on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, did a masterful job, by the way. If you haven't heard his message, I recommend you go back and listen to it on the podcast or on our website. And he talked about trust in the Lord with all your heart. And not just trust with the Lord with all your heart, but trust the Lord with what's in your heart, which was a great distinction to make. To trust with the, the Lord with what maybe we have false stereotypes in our heart of other people. Maybe we, have, uh, we always have this need to be right. Maybe that's in your heart. We have to trust to God. Maybe we forget the value of the other human being across from us, and we need to trust God with that, which is in our heart. And then this next uh, part of the verse, do not rely on your own insight. Other translations, do not rely on your own understanding. And I want to touch on that a little bit, because in the postmodern mind, to, 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 to say, trust in the Lord and don't rely on my own understanding it's very counterintuitive to people. Maybe you're not a religious person. You don't go to church at all or something. And it sounds like, well, why would I do that? Why wouldn't I trust more in my own understanding and tr- rather than God's? What, what's the point of that? Why even do it? What's the value? I mean, think of it this way. Have you ever been to like a giant library? Say the Library of Congress or that library at the Biltmore House. Have you ever been in there? And it's this like, layers and mahogany, you know, and just like all these leather-bound books and I love the Christmas time because they put literal packages in the tree, you know. And imagine you're in a giant library like that, just, just full of knowledge. And imagine that one author wrote all those books. All thousands and thousands of those books came from one author. The human race is sort of like a child that has walked into a library like that and has a dim understanding of what they're really seeing. And yet, the vastness and the immensity and the knowledge of the context in which you're walking into can either, uh, you can either take great comfort in that, or you can ignore it. And when we're saying trust in the Lord and not in your own understanding, you're saying, God, you have such vast knowledge that I cannot even comprehend. Why in the world would I not trust you more than my own limited sight that has, almost has blinders on so some people could, you could ignore that or you could take comfort in it. You could ignore the author of the story or find that the author of the story knows your story. So in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, 
says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Christianity is a story of how the author has written himself into your story. He has written himself into our story. He has written himself into his story on the face of the earth and made himself known to his people. So you should, you should actually trust the author more than himself. Like my children read Harry Potter. I think it's everybody read these books now. I think it's, they almost mail them to you free in the mail, like a free sample. And did you know this? They did a TV special like about a year ago, 20-year uh, reunion or something. 20 years, okay? You feeling old yet? 20-year reunion. And they invited the whole cast. All these people came back. But they didn't invite the author. Rowling is not in the TV special. You ignored the person who created the universe that you, in which you live as a character. I mean, if that's not a great microcosm for the human condition, I don't know what is. That God created you, he breathed life into your body, he formed you in your mother's womb, and yet you can go, no, we don't need an interview from you. It's crazy that God knows the path of your life. He knows where you've been and where you're going. He knows the path of this church, where it's been and where it's going. Dwight Moody said, it's easier for me to have faith in God than to have faith in Dwight Moody, for Moody has failed me many, many times. See, our lives are not puzzles to figure out. Your life is not a series of random events. Everything you have been through has equipped you to be where you are now, to perhaps do a work that no one else could do. The answer is for all people to come to God and trust in the Lord more than your own understanding because he knows your life better than you do and to trust him and he will reveal to you more of the truth of your existence, of your calling, of why you're here. But if you begin with yourself and trust in your own understanding more than God's, you've made a fundamental mistake because you're using your ego as the springboard for all the decisions of your life. And if that's you, you will live a very chaotic life. We should trust the Lord with what's in our hearts more than our own understanding. Because Jeremiah seventeen nine reminds us that the heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? More lives have been destroyed by the terrible postmodern advice of follow your heart. That's not in the Bible. Jesus says, follow me with what's in your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding, but trust in me. And so when you do let go and trust more in God's understanding than your own, it's similar to putting a key in a keyhole and unlocking a door that was locked from the inside that you never thought would ever come open. And the moment that door opens, it leads to freedom and true understanding of your place and purpose in the world. In other words, you will stop feeling like you're constantly swimming upstream. It does not mean life will be easy. No, not at all. But it means that you'll have peace with God and that you're trusting God more than your own understanding. And so when we say we need to trust God's understanding, we have to look at, well, what are God's ways, right? If I'm going to trust this God with my own, with more than me, then what's he like? Well, in one short summary is look at Jesus. He is he is God in flesh, right? He is, he is God in incarnate, 
God with us. You can look at him and how he talks to hear what his, what his heart is and what God is like. Isaiah 55, written thousands of years ago, tells us that the Lord's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So our priorities may not line up with his at all initially. And Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That's today. Let the wicked forsake their way and their unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So there's not an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. Can we just clear that up? There's just God. God unchanging. I am that I am. I do not change, God says in Deuteronomy. Can we just clear that up? God is God. He always has been. He always will be. So when you hear Isaiah, it's the same guy speaking in the New Testament. There's not a, an old Jesus and a new Jesus. It's just Jesus, okay? So in Matthew chapter 20, we get a picture of more of the priorities of who this God is and what he desires for us, and I believe he desires for this church. He tell, Jesus told a lot of stories. He told a lot of parables. He rarely would just say, I'm going to, let's look at Deuteronomy 5, and I'm going to teach you through that today, friends. No, he doesn't do that. He always tells stories, because we remember stories, don't don't we? Like the story I told you earlier about walking in Disney World. You might remember that over lunch. Um, Like me, things come and go in my brain pretty quick. But Jesus tells a story here about a landowner that goes out to hire people to work in his vineyard. Clearly, it's a metaphor And there's a lot to unpack here, and I'm going to read it all in context with itself. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them in to his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And at about five o'clock, right about the time you get off work, he found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? Then they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, what do you think happened here? Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The world says that outsiders can never be allowed into the treehouse. The world says to use people to win money. God says I will use money to win people. The world says, take, while you get what, take what you can while you can. Jesus says, the greatest among you must be last and a servant and have no notoriety 
The world says, follow your heart. Jesus says, follow me. You see where I'm going? The world says, if you're not first, you're last. Second place is first loser, right? Jesus said that the last will be first. And repeatedly, he makes it clear that those who are on the margins must be invited in to a relationship with God inside the church. That those whom the world has cast off and forgotten must be invited into the house of God. And all will equally receive the same blessing. Regardless of who you are, where you've come from, or you're, you're, you're broken or you're not, or whatever, everybody receives the same grace. And isn't it just like human beings? You know what? Sinners don't like being told what to do. Shocker, newsflash. But does this not challenge your own understanding and hopefully reorient you to the understanding of Jesus, the understanding of God, that trust not in the Lord, but in your, I mean, trust in the Lord, but not in your own understanding, to lean not on that, but to lean on how God operates? to see that the Lord is constantly desiring to extend grace to everyone and to be equally generous to anyone. And the other servants complained in that story. You know, they didn't at least acknowledge that those latecomers, they at least worked, you know? He's not paying people that didn't do anything. They at least wanted to participate and be involved. Now, they worked and they got something. But when I read that parable, and it challenges my own understanding of grace, that kind of can make you a little bit uncomfortable. And it makes me ask myself the question, am I willing to go all the way with him, even if it seems counterintuitive? Even if it seems no one understands? Like C.S. Lewis said, if the whole world is running toward a cliff, and you're running in the opposite direction, you're the one that looks like everyone says is crazy. But to go all the way with him, clearly God's ways are not our natural ways. And we have to listen and trust not in our own understanding, but in his heart for people. Like I worked at a church in Charlotte, um, a very large church over like a $20 million budget or something like that. I mean, it was just this massive place. And they were coming around the time we need to build a building, right? I mean, this is what churches do. We got to build more buildings. And so we got to build a new auditorium, a 3,000 seat auditorium. So it came time for them to start raising money for this thing. And the senior pastor, they started to pray about it. The senior pastor came back to his team and said, you know what? God doesn't want us to do this. He's telling me we need to go to the inner city of Charlotte near Panther Stadium and build an inner city ministry and give the building away to a ministry that feeds homeless people. Now, how do you think some of the leadership of the church uh, welcomed that news? It initially met resistance. Why would we do that? Why would we go pay for someone else's building and not ours? But through debate and conversation and prayer, they did it. They paid, they gave $3 million and built a building to feed the homeless in downtown Charlotte. And then eventually they turned around and they built their giant, beautiful thing with smoke machines and leather pants and <laughs> laser lights and all that kind of stuff. No, it was a good church, actually. It was a great church. And you know what? Within two months, their new building got paid for entirely debt-free. So when we put God's priorities first, yeah, it's not going to make sense initially. Like I, 
I knew a woman one time that was deeply in debt, like tens of thousands of dollars to her. It was a lot of money, and she, couldn't, she didn't have enough income to pay it off. And slowly but surely, she realized God was telling her, I want you to tithe, I want you to give your way out of debt. And she was like, what? How does that even work? How is that going to make any difference? But she saw that God was telling her, you need to budget and be more generous with what, I'm, what you have, and I will bless you and so that you can pay off the debt. You have to trust me, though. And it worked. She tithes her way over time. It took years, but she got out of debt. She didn't trust on her own understanding. She trusted God's leadership in her life. So we definitely need a guide who knows the terrain. As I said earlier, to trust in the Lord more than our own understanding. I had a friend who went on a camping trip out west, or a hunting trip out west. Um, and as they do, I've never been on these trips, so I can't say I'm not a hunter uh, by any stretch of the imag- imagination. Um, but he, he told me, you know, when you go out, you, you can go and ask landowners if we can use the land to hunt on. And most of them, it's, it's not a problem, and they'll agree to their friends probably. We went out to this new piece of land that we'd never been on before, and the landowner said, sure, that's fine, but I, I need you to, take, to, to, to drive you around a little bit. And my friend kind of rolled his eyes, like, I don't need, I don't need a field trip right now. You know, I don't need to, you don't, I, I don't need to do that. I'm, I've done this for many years, it's fine. But the guy was like, no, you really need to get in my truck and let me show you the, the land. So he gets in the truck and they drive around and he's thinking, this is such a waste of time. Why am I doing this? And they come up on a huge grassy field and it looks beautiful and serene and perfect. And they get a little bit closer, and within that grassy field was a huge crevasse, a crack in the land, hundreds of yards deep. And he said, I wanted you to see this so you didn't fall into it. You know, you need a guide who knows the terrain, he knows where you're going, that you can trust more than yourself. So thankfully, my friend didn't trust in his own understanding, or else he might be dead. God knows the terrain before us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it's an appropriate text for last week and this week, it's appropriate for the season of life that uh, this church is currently in. And Ken, again, did a masterful job last week of reminding us that there is healing in our hearts. There is healing when we offer God with what's in our hearts. And I have to address it. This is the first time I've spoken to the church since the congregational vote in that we need to be reminded daily to not be leaning on our own understanding but continually trust in the Lord as each day passes to seek Jesus' desire for this church. And many people have asked me the day after that or even that night of the vote, how did I feel? And I have to tell you, I felt a great sense of relief that it was somehow over in that regard, but I also feel grief. I feel relief and grief, and maybe you can relate. I'm relieved it's over. I'm relieved that there's some sense of closure perhaps, at least partially, but I do deeply, deeply feel for those who are upset by the results of that vote. And I, no pastor wants that for anybody, and I certainly don't want that either, and I pray for anyone that has caused confusion by what has happened. And I, but here's some things you have to explain. Many people have said to me or emailed me and said, we, we shouldn't have had to have done it. You foisted this upon this church. And I get it, you need a scapegoat. You got to blame somebody. But let me explain. There's a bigger context to this. When people go, you know what, we shouldn't have done it. My answer is, you know what, you're right. 
No one wanted to do that. I didn't want to do it. You didn't want to do it. That's one thing we can all agree on, right? No one really wanted to have to do that. You're right. No one wanted to be there. The last year of my life would have been much more simple, and your life would have been much more less complicated. But here's the deal. That decision would have, should have never filtered down to the local church level. If the decisions of General Conference had been upheld and listened to and obeyed and followed, it never should have been your decision. And that's the fact. But it did, and it happened. We didn't create the problem, but when it came our way, we had to make a choice. And so as Ken said last week, it was a fork in the road sort of moment. In, that, in the history of the church, those moments happen. And we have to trust in the goodness of God. We have to choose to love our neighbor. We have to choose daily to see the image of God in the other person and to respect and love whomever that is. To, to be reminded that you can disagree without being disagreeable. I'm going to say that again. You can disagree without being disagreeable. You can make a point, but it's more important to make a friend and I've also had people say, people won't feel welcome. And my answer is, did people not feel welcome before August 27th? And the answer, of course, is yes, people did feel welcome. Nothing has changed. This church has not changed. It has continued to move in the same direction it has always been moving. That all are loved, all are invited by God to grow in his love. That the, as we saw in Matthew 20, that's why I read that parable. His invitation is for all people. Someone say amen to me, please. Usually I, usually I don't fish for those, but that one I have to. It's for all people. He's saying those on the outside, I want them to come in. I want to know all people to know my love, that I forgive your sin, that all people matter to God, that all people can still take communion, by the way. Someone asked me that. Are you kidding me? Yes! Of course all people can take communion. All people can continue to participate in the life and ministry of this church. That has always been the case, and that will literally never change. As I said in November, do you know what's going to happen the day after a vote? What's going to change around here? Nothing. Wesley Memorial has always been a leader in the decisions this church has made. And sometimes leaders just have to lead, and it's not easy. And that's what y'all did. But it wasn't personal. But we read that parable because I want us all to be reminded that we're a people of grace. We're a people of invitation. That Jesus is perfectly full of grace and truth. And sometimes, many times in the life of discipleship, we have to walk that line of holding both of those things in tension. And human nature being what it is, and the enemy being who he is, he wants to make you feel like you have to choose one or the other. You're either a person of grace or you're a person of truth. I'm either all about the Bible or I'm all about forgiveness. And I say, don't make me choose. Why should I have to choose? Jesus is full of both. He's deeply rooted in the scripture, but flexible above the surface. Does that make sense? That, that you can hold both intention by faith. That that's who Christ is. That's the heart of God. When we say, trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding, you're trusting in a God who's perfectly grace and truth. So I will say this. If you're a truth-based person and you feel this need to always be right, allow me to pull you back to a place of grace, to remind you that you're a sinner, 
and that you're no better than anybody else. And I'm not either. And yes, it will make you uncomfortable. And I'm going to warn you about planting a flag in the ground in a victory of culture war. Don't do that. Because that's not the heart of God. And to anyone that's purely focused on the grace of God, I remind you of the timeless, inspired, holy words of the Bible. That they are inspired by the Holy Spirit, given unto the church. What we believe is simply what, with, is what we have been entrusted with. And we, this is what we will pass on to the next generation. We are not smarter than the authors of the Bible or the apostles or the prophets or the church fathers. God has ordained Scripture, a word that just means rule. Scripture means R-U-L-E, rule of life. It is the thing by which we measure our own spiritual growth and discipleship. Scripture is designed to create, to shape, to mold, to make you holy. And so when you read the Scripture, sometimes you read something that you might not agree with. Well, it could be something God's trying to teach you. To not resist the Lord's discipline. For the Lord chastens those that he loves. He rebukes those that he's calling to himself. Do you see that? And he doesn't cast you out. So we have to be a people that we spend more time leaning not on our own understanding, but leaning on the trusting in the Lord who's perfectly grace and truth. And as we sing this last song, I invite us all to be in a spirit of prayer. Continue to pray for this church and for this community. Um, So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you call us to follow you by faith. You say that the righteous will live by faith. That you call us not to walk in our own way, our own understanding. And we need your word, Lord. Help your word to continue to come alive to us, to show us what's true. To show us that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, not one. But that you can make us perfect in love. Grow us in love, Lord Jesus. Your heart is the heart of perfect love, eternally. Wash over us with your love. And as you love us, as we allow you to love us, may we in turn love our neighbor as you have first loved us. God, I think we can all confess that we love poorly. Our love gets conditional. We, we forget your heart for the world as the vineyard owner calling those on the outside to come in. That all are loved by you. Continue to do this holy work within us, Holy Spirit. Tear down idols that stand in the way of what you want to do within us. Let us find healing in your hands, Jesus. Come Holy Spirit. Amen.